your children would understand there's nothing that is better than you. That every story in this place, moments of struggle in them, but also have moments of beauty in them. I pray that we would be a people who would see our stories, our adventures through your lens. Your truth, your promises. We wouldn't just be a people who would know about you. We'd be a people who would know you. Who would pursue your heart in everything that we do. Who would have a faith that would believe only in your healing. church. I pray that over our hearts. This morning we would come to you. Father, we love you. We meet here this morning to praise you, to honor you, to glorify you, to pursue you. In your son's name we pray these things. Amen. You guys can be seated. Yeah, none of them wanted to be the first to go through the creepy curtain. None of them. They're like, we need an adult to do that business. So, all right, if you have your Bibles, uh, let's, let's turn. We're going to turn two places today. We're going to be in Jeremiah 31. Uh, Jeremiah is going to be right around the middle of your Bible. Uh, and then we're going to be at, toward the end of our time in Romans chapter 5, which will be toward the, uh, the last third of your Bible. And so uh, if you don't have a Bible... Uh, and you would love a free one, we would love to gift one to you. Just raise your hand, and uh, Jake will uh, gladly run one your way. Uh, we are, uh, I am, uh, very excited and very grateful uh, to get together uh, for uh, the lifting high of the name of Jesus. It's, it's strange to me. Uh, I thought this week, I was like, you know, what did we do last year for Easter? And then I was like, oh, we were in our houses uh, and we were doing family discussion, guys, as we celebrated. And, uh, and as much as I love that, and as much as I love our family, I love getting together uh, with the saints as we get to respond to, to God's great love. And, and what we do is we, today we, we respond to God's great love, which is really expressed in every moment of every day. But, but what happens when we gather for Easter is, is, is what those events are. That love is... It's brought into this greater focus on special days like this one. And as we consider really just the significant events that surround the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, as, as we center 
our hearts around all the moves and all the plans uh, and really the will of God to, to rescue and redeem us through the gospel. And, and I think it's important to constantly be reminded of the price Jesus was willing to pay in order to, to ransom us from the effects of our sin. Um, and I think what happens yearly is during this time we, we come in and we slow our hearts and we consider how our Easter celebration, uh, how, how it happened uh, in a real time, in a, in a real place with a real person. So when we celebrate what Jesus has done on the cross and we celebrate that the tomb is empty, that, that this isn't a fable and, it, and it's not a fairy tale that that jesus walks among us that's what we celebrate in christmas right that emmanuel that that god is literally with us and he lived the life that we could not live and he died the death that we deserved to die so that we can be rescued and restored and and redeemed and and i think that that's really what uh the holy week is we uh we took part last week into uh in palm sunday as we as we began the Holy Week, as Jesus arrives in town, and then throughout the week there are certain events that happened, and, uh, and, and which kind of led us to Good Friday, where, where Jesus is nailed on a cross and breathes his last breath. And, and I think there's, there's much to be said about the events of, of the cross and the wrath that Jesus took on himself on our behalf and uh, in, in the offering of himself for the forgiveness of, of our sins. But but here's what we need to know about that Good Friday, that, that, that if Jesus had simply remained dead, we could have access to the forgiveness of our sins, but, but we would still be in a very bad way. Uh, because what we need more than to be good is to be alive. Uh, and so I, I grew up thinking uh, that the cross was was so incredibly significant, and then the fact that Jesus came back to life was just this this icing that was on a cake, right? It was, it was a cherry on the top. And, and as I grow and as I mature, I, I learn to understand just how vital the resurrection of Jesus is. Because in one, again, we find the forgiveness of our sins, but then in the other, we have life that is breathed back into our lives because of, of what Jesus has done. And this is why the resurrection and our Easter celebration is so vital to our hearts because we die in his death and we live in his life. There's this scene in, in John chapter 11 where, where Jesus will eventually uh, raise a man from, La call Lazarus out from the grave, right? He's been dead for, for th uh, more than three days and he comes out. But there's this conversation that he has with uh, Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, and he says this to, to them. In fact, it's, it's John eleven twenty five. He says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. That whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked this incredible question to her. And by extension, us. Do you believe this? Do you believe in who Jesus claims that he is? And I think at its foundational level, at its foundational level, here's what we get with Easter. That, that we get to celebrate that Jesus is not a liar. 
That's what it is. Because if he's a liar, everything that we believe in him and of him just crumbles between the weight of our sin. But the fact that he is not a liar, that, that he said, I will be in the grave for three days and then I will come back to life. Then because he lives, we have a place to take our worship and our lives and our sin and our regrets. And he serves. He serves as the name above all names and the king above all kings and the, the Lord above all lords. And so, so here's what typically we have available to us on, on Easter Sundays. Uh, we, can, we can spend time visiting the tomb that is empty and, and the celebration that ensues as, as Jesus removes the sting of death for uh, the believers. That, that we, can, we can visit with the disciples as Jesus suddenly appears in this locked upper room. Uh, and he says, hey, guess what? I'm here, right? Uh, we, we, can, we can walk and we can stand beside Thomas who, who says, I, I won't believe that Jesus is alive until I see it for myself. And, and we can explore these beautiful moments where, where
judgment. And then he pulls them aside and where they expect more, uh, more judgment, he comes in and he surprises them with comfort. And the question is, is, is why? And the answer is because he's pulled them into his heart. That, that in, 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 in all honesty, they cannot sin their way out of his heart. In fact, he, he assures them in chapter 31, verse 3, that, that I have loved you with an everlasting love. And so, so, so the book of Consolation comes on this hill of, of 29 chapters of this just sordid recounting of Israel's sinfulness. In fact, he says, here's, I'll just give you a couple because you're like, oh, I wanted to hear a lot about sinfulness today. Here you go. Ready? He says, I will declare my judgment against them for all their evil. He says, my people have forsaken me. He says, you have polluted the land with your vile whoredom. He says, oh, Jerusalem, how long shall your wicked thoughts lodge within you? This people have a a stubborn and a rebellious heart. And he says, as a well keeps its fresh waters, so she keeps fresh her evil. And so God does this for 29 chapters. And he's not being mean He's just being accurate. And then on the other side of of chapters 30 through 33, the rest of the book is about this judgment against the nations. But but here in the center, the pinnacle of which the whole 52 chapters can be viewed, this book of consolation in these four chapters, uh, perhaps there's one verse, and this is the verse I want us to see this morning. There's one verse that best sums it all up. And it's chapter uh, 31, verse 20. And wants to see that. In fact, uh, Dylan, do you mind uh, getting this up on the screen? Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, okay, here's this. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. And I will surely have mercy on him declares the Lord. Therefore, my heart yearns for him, and I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. So, so Ephraim is simply just a, a term of endearment for Israel, right? In fact, God's people, though it appears to be this, this sort of divine term of affection for Israel through the Old Testament, and God asks, is he my darling child? God, and, and here's what we know, that God is not wondering. He doesn't wonder the way that we wonder as we parent our children. Because there are times you say, is he my darling child or is he the spawn of Satan? I don't know. I'm sorry, I'm sure y'all have great kids, you know. And so, so, so what we have here is this, this beautiful declaration and it's clothed in the gentleness of a question that, that his people are his dear son and even his, his darling child. And, and I wonder if for you, does your doctrine of God have room for him speaking of you like this? Like, like do you know of God the Father and when he speaks of you, does he refer to you or as do you feel that he refers to you as a darling child? 
He says this, for as often as I speak against him, and again, if you walk through the book of Jeremiah, we got 29 chapters of, of this scathingly unbraiding his people, like a, like a parent venting to their, their friends about their kids. Or, or uh, I don't know if you're guilty of this. Misty does this to me all the time when she says, hey, your son or your daughter, you know, and I'm like, no, we were partners in this game, right? And, and so, so God gives us this, this, even though as often as I speak against him, God says, I do remember him still. I do remember him still. And, and this remembrance here, it's not faulty recall because this is God, that, that he is all-knowing and he holds all truth about all things and all times in his mind with equal and perfect knowledge. And, and he remember, what he remembers here is covenantal language. It's relationship. That there's nothing. There's nothing that I don't do on your behalf that is for your punishment and your, for your pain. That I'm bringing you out. In fact, Dane Ortland. He wrote a book called uh, Gentle and Lowly, and it's an, inc- it's an incredible book. And uh, I would encourage you to read it, but I'm pretty sure I'm just going to rip it off mainly today. Uh, and then we'll come in with the series at some point, and I'll just rip them off then too. Um, but he says, he says, talking about this remembering, he says this, is, this remembering is not an alternative to forgetting, but it's an alternative to forsaking. That God says, I remember, and I'm not forsaking him. I'm not walking away. Though their sins are great, and their worship is, is false, and, and they're struggling, and they don't give me the honor that deserves to me. But I will not forsake them because I've drawn them in with my everlasting love. And then, he, then comes this high point in the key verse of, of, of these four chapters. It's the center of this book where, where God, our Father, looks at us and he says, he's like he makes a choice, right? He says, therefore, my heart yearns for him. My heart yearns. The word used here is, is, is mia. And, and it literally means, it refers to the insides of a person, to, to the guts of a person. In fact, the, the KJV uh, translated that, that his, uh, he yearns for us in his bowels. And I know you're like, well, yeah, you're like, that sounds gross. I didn't write it. God did, okay? Um, and of course, God doesn't have guts, but, but it's his way of speaking of his innermost reflex, that, that his churning insides, his deepest feelings, of which his emotions are an image in, in a word in his heart. He says, this is my heart for them. And now pay attention about what his heart does. He says, my heart yearns for him. And so, so the question becomes, what, does, what is it to yearn, right? Uh, it, it is something different than to bless or to save or, or even to love, that the word used here at its roots, it talks about being restless or being agitated or, or growling or roaring as if God says, says, my heart roars over them because I love them so incredibly much. And in fact, Ortland poses this question, uh, do, you, do you see what God is revealing about himself, about, about what he's insisting on? That his affections for his own are not threatened by their fickleness. Because pouring out of his heart is the turbulence of divine longing. And what God wants, God gets. So, 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 so a choice is made by God because his heart is for you. He says, therefore, I will surely have mercy 
on him. And so, so the yearning heart of God delivers and re-delivers sinners who find themselves drowning in the sewage of their lives. In fact, 29 chapters deep, right? In need of a rescue that they cannot even begin on their own, let alone complete their own rescue. So I think, I think some great questions kind of follow this declaration of, of God's uh, to extend mercy o- on us. Like, um, for instance, like who, who do you perceive God to be? Right? Uh, who do you perceive him to be in your sin and then in your suffering? Right? Who, who do you think God is? Not, not just on paper, but in, in who you believe is hearing you if and when you pray. How, how does he feel about you? His, his saving of us, guys, it's, it's, it's not cool and it's not calculating. It's, it's, it's a matter of, of yearning and, and a yearning for, for the real you. Not the fake you, not, not the you that's like, oh, if I'm going to stand in the presence of God, I better take some moments and, and clean myself up and, and try to project a different version of myself in, in an attempt to maybe trick God into liking me more. But, but the real you, this, this, this you that, not, not the you that you wish you were, but this yearning that he has for who you are in this very moment, the you that is underneath Everything that you want to present to others that you say, I don't want them to know just how messy it gets in here. Another, another Ortland quote, we need to understand that, that however long we have been walking with the Lord, whether we have, have never read the whole Bible or we have a PhD in it, we have, to, uh, we have a perverse resistance to this. That out of his heart flows mercy out of ours reluctance to receive it. We are the cool and calculating ones, not he. He is open-armed and we stiff-arm. Our, our naturally decaffeinated views of God's heart might feel right because we're being stern with ourselves, not letting ourselves off the hook too easily. Such sternness feels appropriately morally serious, but this deflating of God's yearning heart does not reflect Scripture's testimony about how God feels towards his own. God is, of course, morally serious, far more than we are. But the Bible takes us by the hand and leads us out from under the feeling that his heart for us wavers according to our loveliness. Do you, do you get that? If you don't get that, I just want you to hear that. And I want you to repeat that, that, that the Bible takes us by the hand and leads us out from under this feeling that his heart for us wavers according to our loveliness. There's, there's such a difficulty in all of our transactional relationships that we have in this world where this is the case. And God comes in and says, he says I treat you so differently than the way you treat each other. That God's heart confounds our intuitions of who He is. And so I think a challenge here is is our inclination in these moments to separate our sin and our suffering that that we know we're we're culpable for our sins. After all, whereas our suffering, at least much of it anyways, is simply what happens in this world ruined by the fall. And so, so we tend to have a greater difficulty expecting God's gentle compassion toward our sins in the same way that he brings us gentle compassion 
when we, when we suffer. And surely his heart flows more freely when, when I am sinned against, right? This is the argument. Surely his heart flows more freely when, when I am sinned against than when I myself sin. And so we come back to, he says, my heart yearns for him. And some of us here don't understand that that's, that's exactly what you've been looking for your whole life. Like to understand that God's heart yearns for you. The world, guys, the world is starving for a yearning love. A love that, that remembers instead of forsakes. A love that, that isn't tied to our loveliness. A love that gets down underneath our messiness. A love that is, that is bigger than the enveloping darkness we might be walking through, even, even in this moment today. That, that a love of which even the best human romances is but the faintest of whispers. Like, that's, that's what we want. And that's really what we go searching for in all other areas apart from Christ. Like, apart from Jesus, you're just looking for the love of God. And now what we tend to do is mistake that, and we, tend to, we try to find fulfillment in other places, and they're really just empty wells. Or they offer and they don't do it right. And so, so let's, let's talk about Jesus as we talk about Jeremiah 31.20. Because if, if Jeremiah 31.20, my heart yearns for him, were able to get dressed and walk in the flesh, we would see him in the walking presence of Jesus. That's, that's the gift. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? That's John 3.16. Like we've all, we've all seen that, right? We've all heard that. And so, so if if this could walk in the flesh, it would walk in the flesh in Jesus. That at the height of human history, justice is fully satisfied and mercy is fully poured out at the same time that, that when the Father sent His eternally dear Son and His darling child to a Roman cross where God truly did speak against Him. When Jesus poured out His own blood, the, the innocent for the guilty so that God could say to us, I remember him still. I will provide for him what he cannot provide for himself. I will give to him what he cannot earn by himself. I remember it. So even as he forsook Jesus himself momentarily on the cross, we see that God did, does this to satisfy his yearning for you and me. And now here's the thing. The danger of that is it's intended to inflate your ego, right? Uh, because we, we have plenty of that. We can, we can find friends that will inflate our ego enough. Uh, so so we, don't walk over, we don't walk away saying, yes, God, you're welcome that you get to save me. That's not the way it works. What we do is we get to sit in moments like this with the cross and with the resurrection. And we say, God loved me so much. He was willing to do so much to rescue and restore and redeem me because he loves me and he loves you. And so, so if Jesus is the full extent of God's yearning for us in Jeremiah 31, 20, then, then I, want us, I want us to go to a spot. I told you we'd be here at the end. That I want us to go to this spot in the New Testament that I, I believe confirms this, and, and I pray you'll just stick with me for, 
for a few more moments. And uh, as we go there, Romans chapter 5, uh, and Swan, we can, we can start wrapping this up. And so, so Romans is, is an incredible book, okay? A lot of people are intimidated by it, but if you read it slowly, uh, and you read it thoughtfully, and you read it prayerfully, uh, God will really speak to you in these words. It's not as complicated, because God doesn't want you to think of life with Him so complicated that it paralyzes you, okay? That's, that's my endorsement of the book of Romans. It's pretty good. All right, so, so Romans chapter 5, he comes in, verse 6, and he, he, Paul says this. And he's talking about you, and he's talking about me. And if you are in Christ... He's talking about this is where you were, and if you're not in Christ, he's telling you this is where you are. Okay? We talk about this quite a bit around here at Merge, that, that it's, it's really important that you know where you are, uh, because identifying where you are helps you get to where you're going to go. Okay? And so, so he comes in, and he says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And so, so, so at the right time, and this is, is important to note, because the enemy, here's what you need to know, the enemy did not kill the Son of God because evil was too much on the cross. Okay? There, there's not a moment. God, God doesn't just turn a crushing blow into to last-minute heroics by calling Jesus out of the tomb. Right? So, so at the right time, it means that at the exact moment that God chose, at the exact nanosecond of his choosing, because of his yearning for those he loves, God turned graves into gardens. That's what he does. And so, so, but Christ doesn't just die for death's sake. He, he dies for the ungodly. And that's you and that, that was me. In fact, verse 7 for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And, and I think these two verses deserve really a lifetime of reflection. That, that no matter how mature you are as a believer, you never graduate from this. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That Jesus is not holding God back from a fist fight with us. Right? So, so granted, his, he is wrathful towards sin, but he is loving toward us. And God shows his love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ dies for us. So we go to verse 9. Since therefore we have been now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. But if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. So, so here's what this means. That, that, that Jesus satisfies the payment sin requires from us. He satisfies it. Because our debt is paid in full, because our debt is paid in full, we can be saved from the effects of sin and the wrath that burns against sin. So, so we pay this special attention to verse 10 because we, we were, we are enemies to God when he reconciles us in Jesus. Again, it confounds all of our relationships. 
because we, again, are trying transactional in our relationships. And so, so if you do good for me, then I should do good for you, or I want to do good for you. But if, but if you do bad to me, then by all means, let's, let's go to war. And what we find in the gospel is God comes in and he says, man, you, I move in your direction when you don't deserve for me to move in your direction. I extend my love to you when you are most unlovable. So, so we were, we are enemies to God when he reconciles us, meaning that there is nothing of value that helps us earn our standing with him. We can't earn it, we can't buy it, we can't argue our way into God's heart. And, and you want to you know why? Because his heart is already open to you. And we just walk into that. We walk into this. In fact, verse 11, more than that, we, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It's a huge word. To be reconciled. To be restored. To be redeemed. And so, so where do we land here? And, and simply, we, and I don't, I don't know if this is the, um, the, the super exciting um, Easter message you were hoping for, right? Uh, I apologize we didn't have like motocross bikes jumping the gaps with lasers shooting us all in the eyeballs. But but here here's where we land, that we repent of our small thoughts of God's heart. We, we repent and we, we let Him love us. And you're like, does that make much of me or make much of God? And if, if you think it makes much of you, then you don't understand how incredible God is to you. That he is, he is for you. That we celebrate Easter because God's heart yearns for people like you and like me. And, and, and I pray today that you would you'd not let this moment go by without responding to his great love. Either, either if you're a believer or you're not a believer, that, that, that you would, uh, as a believer, you would stop and you would remember and that that remembering would bring something out. That your yearning for him would just be a simple reflection of his yearning for you. And then if you're not, if you're not a believer, my prayer was that, is that you would understand that your wayward heart can come home to a father who loves you. That it can. There is nothing in Christ Jesus that separates us. There's nothing. There's nothing that will separate us from the love of God because of what we celebrate today and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we'll give you an opportunity here uh, in just a moment if you would like to respond. Maybe, maybe you have some questions. Uh, we love asking questions around here. Uh, we love being able to say, I don't know. Let's figure this out together. Um, maybe you, you need some prayer this morning. We want to pray with you. There'll be a group of people over here on this side. We want to pray with you. Maybe you never asked Jesus into your heart. We want to give you that opportunity to respond to God's great love. And really, all I hope is in the verses that we've talked through today, that they stick with you. I don't know what kind of egg hunt you got going on this afternoon. I don't know what kind of nap you're planning on taking later today. But I pray that these words, that you would hear God say, my heart yearns for him. And you would know that's about you. I love you guys.
Our desire this week is to love God by? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you care for us. We thank you that you move in our direction even though we don't deserve it. We thank you that you confound all of our relationships, that you, you confound treating your enemies the way that you do. We thank you that, that there's nothing we can do to force you into a corner of accepting us, but that you love us and you move in our direction because you choose to. So, Father, I pray that we would, again, that we would repent of any small views we have of you. And that the bigger you are in our hearts, the more our worship wells up. To where we are a people who explode because of who you are. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.